Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales for your business through paid traffic. But today, Kasim, we're paying for that in time and maybe the fee of a consultant in because Today, we're talking search engine optimization. Remember that SEO word, that very bad word that you and I have completely abandoned in our professional careers because we left it to people like our guest here to actually do it the right way as opposed to the wrong way? Remember that way back when? Uh, so I've got a theory, actually. Every agency owner started in SEO. <laughs> true. So true. Dude, dude, stress test this theory. Next time you're in an event, so if somebody owns an agency, bet money especially if they're of a certain age, they started an SEO and then they realized this is hard. I'm yeah. moving on. Right. But there were some holdouts and I'm excited to talk to maybe the greatest holdout of all time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty psyched to talk to this guy here today because it's something that we think we know, like we know title tags and headlines and keywords and all that, but we don't really know any of that stuff. We're paid traffic guys, even though most of our leads actually come from organic stuff, which is a dirty little secret, which probably has something to do with SEO at some point in time. But if you're not sure what SEO is, you're probably listening to the wrong show first off, because it's called Search Engine Optimization. And we're here with Michael Cottom, and he is a SEO consultant extraordinaire. And he's worked with mom and pops stores all the way to Fortune 500 companies doing the stuff we're talking about here today. And I don't know if this still is the case, but are you still ranked world's best search engine optimization consultant, Michael? Or is, have you got dinged on that through the Googles? I don't think so. I think I'm under a bit of an attack out there. So let me ask a They're question unfair. a different way, Michael. How long has it been since you even attempted to rank? Like you haven't optimized for yourself in how long? Yeah, I don't really spend any time on that. The honest truth is the best clients come from referrals, not from people just out there Googling. Company accepted. This is how I met Cosmo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm taking umbrage with that statement because I yeah. found you by Googling. That was the exact keyword phrase, world's best SEO consultant. I love that. So, Michael, not to put you on the spot here, but we're going to be getting into all the stuff about ChatGPT, which is probably the reason why... If you're listening to this show, you might have seen that in your iTunes or your podcast titles because ChatGPT is everything right now. Jeez, is there anyone that's not talking about it? But maybe you got a little nugget for us that we can implement quickly, If even if you're an SEO or a non-SEO person that you know that maybe the perpetual traffic listener might not be aware of. So I think all the focus today on ChatGPT and Jasper AI and all those various AI generators is on these tools generating your piece of content start to finish, soup to nuts. So you feed it a topic, let it do its writing, publish and go on to the next one. 
And while it's pretty and exciting and different to see this thing that writes almost like a human, especially when they do their silly little animation as they're creating the content in front of your face, and that's got the tension of, of the media, that's not what that tool is about. You pursue it that way, you're headed for a very bad place and you're not going to have success. But that doesn't mean that tool is not useful. And so mm. what we're going to be talking about a little bit later is how can you use the AI-generated content tools like ChatGPT to take a big chunk out of the effort in doing your content creation. It doesn't take the effort away, but just like you can use a chainsaw to cut through a bunch of wood pretty quickly, but you wouldn't use it to finish fine furniture, it's a tool for one piece of the process. And we'll talk about how to do that. Yeah, 100%. I think that's the it's the big question on everyone's mind right now is where do I actually use it? I know we've talked about it on this show, but specifically towards search engine optimization and content creation, I think is one of the biggest areas where there's a lot of question marks on that. So we're going to be getting into that pretty in-depth, almost the entire show here, right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. All right, we are back and we're here with Michael Cottom. Michael is a the world's best SEO consultant. I'm just going to say that. It's, it's all about hyperbole here no, and perpetual traffic. I don't care what Google says. I'm just going to say it. Like chat GPT and SEO, uh, give us your view of it. It's the thing right now. Got like my financial newspaper had chat GPT on the cover. I never thought that would happen. Like it's almost like (laughs) when your favorite stock is on the cover of Fortune magazine, it's time to sell kind of thing. But it seems like chat GPT did that in about 30 days. It's crazy how much traction it's getting. Or less. So there's two sides to this. There's a side that the search marketing world looks at, and there's a side that all the rest of the people that we sell our stuff to looks at. So let's start with the side that everybody else looks at. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of news stories about how Google and now Bing are going to integrate AI answer chatbot into search so that you'll type in your question like you would normally do a Google search, and that will start a little conversation just like those thrilling auto-answer robots, chatbots on other sites. Unlike those kinds of chatbots, this might actually be pretty useful. But the thing is, it's not really rocket science. It's really like featured snippets Mm 2.0. So today you type in your search query into Google and you get your search results. But up at the top, you might get this featured snippet where Google decides, okay, I think there's one pretty good summary answer for this. This paragraph probably answers most people's questions if you type this in. What Google and Bing are talking about is replacing that with something that just doesn't come back with one answer, but has an ongoing conversation with you. And that's actually kind of cool. And that would be pretty useful. But that's a totally different world from what the search marketing world is looking at in terms of using ChatGPT, Jasper, etc. And the search marketing world is looking at as a way to create content and Organizations like CNET and Buzz already been busted for creating that content with very light editorial oversight. And yet there is working. Google hates to hear that, of course, but it's working and they're driving tons of traffic from this machine-generated, boring, plain text pages. Next thing to realize is that the Google's actually way down the road on this beyond what people are thinking about when they're when you're just you're reading the simple news stories about ChatGPT. When Google ranks a web page 
for relevance and quality of content and how related it is to a topic, Google's not just looking at words. That's 15 years ago, mm. all the way back to Panda, which is about 15 years, I think, at this point. Google's been looking at a lot more things on the page. So if Google's got two pages of content to decide whether it's going to rank number one for whatever the search term is, and one is 2,000 words that covers the topic pretty thoroughly, and the other is 1,500 words that covers pretty thoroughly, but has a couple original pictures and embedded video, there's no question which one Google wants to show. And Google has been given the brownie points in the ranking algorithm to that piece of content that has those embedded images, that has the embedded video, that has embedded map in it, those sorts of things for very good reason. So if you're using, if you're doing what BuzzNet, BuzzFeed and CNET are doing with AI right now and using it to spew out a 2000 word article and you push publish and go and spew out another one, that worked for some long tail traffic, but that's not a that's not a solid content strategy going forwards because Google cares about these other pieces because human beings care about these other pieces. Hmm. You know, do you have a picture of whatever the topic is that nobody else has that's not near their website? Do you have a video that explains that topic? If you're Google, your algorithm's going to say this fifteen hundred word or a thousand word page with these other rich pieces of content is a much better answer than this thing where something just spit a pile of words out and said go yeah yeah for sure that's i mean it's the difference between sort of rich content versus just sort of surface level might be the same depth but all of a sudden when you start putting how do humans actually read stuff like how do they consume information what's more palatable and consumable for a human i think you have to look at that and the one of the interesting things that you stated before we hit the record button here today is Looking at ChatGPT as, as an SEO, you have content writers, and now you just got a new content writer in a lot of ways. That's because right. in most cases, you're not just going to take whatever they get and just throw it on the page. Like, we have content writers here, and back before I used to read and edit everything, that content writer was actually me. But then now it's, co it's copywriters, and then we refine it make it tier 11 sounding, and then put it on the site with embedded images and videos and everything else that goes along with it. But in essence, what you're really saying is that ChatGPT is just a new tool, but still it's the human that puts the finishing touch on it. That's right. And it's a pretty great tool in terms of the amount of time it can save you. So a lot of the work that goes into creating content, even if you know the subject, is doing a bunch of research to see what things you hadn't thought of that you forgot about that when your research or your tool shows you, you go, oh yeah, gotta mention that. But also just the art of crafting nice sounding sentences. That's hard work. And so JetGPT can do a lot of that for you. And so can Jasper and the other tools out there. And they can take a 10 hour writing project, maybe drop that down to three or four hours by basically doing this grunt work that's hard on your brain. It's not really to do with the expertise. You can apply the expertise part to that afterwards. So how have you, and how has your business fundamentally changed since all of this happened? You're an SEO and then you consult and then you hand, like how do you work with customers and how has ChatGPT sort of changed fundamentally how you work with people to get results? Okay, so just like the chainsaw, it's very key to know what part of the whole construction process you can use this tool in. What, here's what I do. So I would start with the industry or business expert and do a little brainstorming. Okay, what are the topics we're going to do for the next six weeks, six months, whatever it is? Come up with a list of high-level topics that industry expert thinks are hot and people aren't talking enough about or are talking about in the wrong way and you need to correct some, that sort of stuff. So you start with those top topics and then... 
just like you would in college, writing writing a paper, and you're going to break it down into your subtopics, right? So what are the detail pieces that you want to hit? Once you have those subtopics, now you can feed those subtopics, if you phrase them as questions, into the AI tool, and it'll give you a chunk of text and research that you can use as at least a starting point to craft your article. So the other day, I went to write an article in the best time of year to visit St. Lucia for one of my travel sites. And so I started with a list of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about weather kinds of terms, you know, what high season, low season for pricing, what kinds of hotels are there, what are there things to see and do. Because I'm a scuba diver, I want to know about where the best places to go scuba diving there, what's the history, what kinds of tours do you have. And so I make this list, and then I fed those questions one at a time into ChatGPT. And it spit out a bunch of decent stuff, which I copied and pasted and plugged in my article. And then I went over it and edited it. And I changed the tone of it to suit the tone of my website. And I took out stuff that I thought was not that relevant, repetitive phrases. I did a little bit of more research on my own beyond what I already knew about the destination. And I added a couple other things in that ChatGPT hadn't picked up. That's kind of the right way to do it. So you're using that ChatGPT to do that time-consuming middle grunt work of the basic initial research and the construction of those sentences. Now, once you have that all laid in place, now you got to go about finding that rich content I talked about. Say, okay, so I've got a section about scuba diving in St. Lucia. Okay, now let's go find an image that fits that section. Or I've got a section about Castries, the capital city. Let's find an image of Castries. Let's find a video tour of this Hotel Chocolat, whatever it happens to be. And now work in, the, work in that rich content. So that's where that the AI tool fits in, time-saving piece in the center, bunch of the research as well as the writing. Can I ask a compliance question, Michael? Sure. So in April of 2022, John Mueller came out and said, AI-generated content is against guidelines. But then I felt like there was a reversal of that approach because, and I don't know who to believe. On one hand, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, Google's going to penalize AI-generated content. In the middle are people going, how are they going to know one way or the other? And then on the other end are people saying, no, Google's actually not only full bore on AI, but they're going to start producing their own. What's the truth? So is there objective truth? I would say very often, John Mueller is a very down to earth and a technical and, and in the middle of things kind of guy. And so He'll give, a, he'll give a very correct answer, which other people will then take out of context and go, well, that means this. On, on the one hand, a fun way to do the headline is, Google says AI is evil and you're going to be you're gonna be spanked if you use it. And oh, by the way, we're going to launch our own to do exactly what we told you to do. Because right. it makes some great headlines, but that's not really what's going on. What Mueller said, and he had some follow-up on, on that, is if you're, if you're using tools to generate content just to draw search traffic, and you're not actually creating useful content for end users, no, we don't like that. If Mm. you're creating content, and this is in the helpful content update guidelines, if your content is merely summarizing what everybody else has written, that's not helpful. Why would we show your summary unless somehow you're a fabulous mashup of lots of pieces that doesn't exist anyplace else? But that's the general idea is it's not they're necessarily going to punish it, and honestly, I think there are a long ways from being able to detect it, especially if you do a very light editing proofreading with a human, they're not going to be able to spot it. If you if you use, you mess around with chat GPT and everybody ought to be doing this, mess around with it and just see what it does so you get a feel for really what's going on here. Take the content it generates and take some unique looking phrases in that content 
and then Google those in double quotes and you will not find that they've pulled whole sentences or phrases from different places. So their AI is actually constructing sentences with the facts and verbs and stuff they found other places. So that makes it very difficult to detect. And then, yeah, there was an announcement last week about a detector that can spot it X percent of the time. I don't think Google cares all that much. I think they've got, with the helpful content update and some of the signals there are undoubtedly bounce right back to the search results. So does somebody land on the page and throw up in their mouth and say, nope, that's worthless and off they go? Or did they land on that page and spend four minutes before they bounced back, which would indicate there was some juicy stuff there that, that kept their attention. Hmm. That's what they're going to care about. And if you use the AI tools to help you in your overall task, and the end result is this piece of content, which users engage with, spend time on, share on social media, link to, great. What CNET and BuzzFeed were doing, okay, that's just printing money. Uh, if they didn't have the backlink profiles they do, those pages without lots of rich content on them probably wouldn't rank. But uh, so that sort of thing has is a ticking time bomb, of course. But I don't think that using AI to help you with your content is anything that's ever going to get you in trouble with Google. How much do you trust the information that Google puts out from an education perspective? Like I remember when I was in SEO, it was Matt Cutts. And you remember Matt Cutts. Yeah. And I yeah. called Matt Cutts the Ministry of Misinformation. Because I was just convinced that everything he said, do the opposite. Like they were trying to throw you off the scent. Google's protecting their algorithm. And now that I run paid ads, I actually see Google doing exactly that. Google will say, oh, performance max will yield to exact match in search campaigns. And then I'll see the exact opposite happen in real time. Over and over and over again. Ultra specific examples of where Google, I don't like using the word lies. Because then that makes me sound like I'm tinfoil hat costume just sitting here like in my bunker. It's not, it just doesn't feel like there's an alignment. From an SEO perspective, where do you land in the conspiracy realm on the on that spectrum? Okay, so we get dark here. I think that there's been a seriously abusive relationship between SEOs and Google. And probably not the way you think I'm going to say. SEO black hats have gone, gone to town with Google since day one, <laughs> figuring out, how to manipulate the results. Look uh, how guilty Ralph looks right now. Look at his face. <laughs> so both on a positive way, but also on negative SEO, which is a big thing that's happening today. It mostly doesn't work unless you do it at scale to a small site, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, so Google's been abused by the black hat side of the SEO community for a long time. And so they're pretty gun shy about saying anything that mm. might tip off people on what they might manipulate. So here's an example. Mm. A whole bunch of years ago, it would have been probably in the early 2000s, Google, somebody at Google, but might have been Matt, um, came out and explicitly said, outbound links from your content will not impact ranking. And yet, a bunch of years later, Matt came out and said, if, you've, if we're looking at a piece of content and that piece of content has links out to other strong, trusted domains that do a good job explaining some of those. We see that as a good user experience, and that's legit. But they were, I think, so afraid at the beginning that, wow, if people know that outbound links would impact ranking, then oh, you just don't plug your, mm-hmm. yeah. your, your thing full of outbound links. I actually did an experiment back about 2004. I had a website built for Fiji vacations and a website built for Tahiti vacations. And on the Fiji version... And I'm admitting things that would send me to jail, get me penalized even more. On the Fiji side, I cloaked for just Googlebot, and I put out a giant list of links to the CIA page on Fiji, the Fiji Visitors Bureau, Air Pacific, all these super high domain authority sites that were about Fiji. And I had the sidebar menu that only Googlebot could see. 
and my rankings went up for my entire Fiji site. No since I've gone to it. And yet Google is sitting there with their arms crossed going, nope, doesn't affect anything. Nope, doesn't affect anything. All right, then. And the reason they're doing this is to try to, number one, try to prevent some of this manipulation. But the other thing that they're doing is they're trying to encourage the right behavior. With this whole expertise, authority, and trust, which is now experience, expertise, authority, and trust, Google is trying to be able to score every each document and each website out there based on, do you know something about this topic? Are you respected by other people in the industry when you talk about this topic? Who is the person who wrote this? Was it some flunky or was it your lead scientist or your lead designer or whatever it was? So who's the person? Who's the company? Should I trust Michael Cottom's article on bicycles, where I might not know that thing, versus Michael Cottom's articles on motorcycles, where I do know something, or SEO or travel or whatever it happens to be? So they're looking to try to be able to score each page, each website on those kinds of factors. I don't think they're very good at it yet, but that's where they're going, right? That's their long-term goal, and for good reason. If you've got two articles about a cure for cancer, I'd like the one by Brian Drucker, who invented the cure for leukemia in Portland, Oregon. I don't want the one that my content writer came up with that I outsourced to wherever. And so that's their goal. So there's a famous hockey player, Wayne Gretzky. Growing up in Canada, it's a big deal to me. Wayne Gretzky has a very famous quote that says, I skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is. And we know where Google's going with this, what they're trying to be able to measure. They don't so much care about how did you use a tool that we don't really like that maybe that Bing and Microsoft created and so we hate you. They don't care about the tool. They care about, is this, in the end, is this a really great piece of content that is accurate? We can trust the content, the accuracy of it, the truth behind it. Is there stuff people are going to want to look at and listen to as well as read? That's where they're going. So far, we've really talked about ChatGPT and the role it plays in SEO and content creation. I think we nailed that. I don't think we need, we've talked a lot about ChatGPT here. It's like your formula for how you use it like, there you go. There it is. And if you're writing an article about hockey, it's better to have it written by Wayne Gretzky than by some kid who's like a peewee third liner. That's what I sort of caught out of that whole conversation. So after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about like how you actually do rank in Google and what this EAT, E-E-E update actually is. And let's get tactical on actual Google rankings and SEO right after the break. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com 
forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me, and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are back with Michael Cottom, and I think we uh, we hit on a couple of really important parts in the first half of the show here, which is how to use ChatGPT. If you didn't listen to that, go back and listen to it again. But that's only sort of part of the story, really. Unless you are BuzzFeed or CNET, you just going in and typing in the topic and then having ChatGPT create a 2,000-word article for you, unless you're one of those guys, you're probably not going to rank and they're going to get busted anyway. So that's not the way to do it. So go back and listen to the first half of the show on how to do it. But that's really just step one, right, Michael? Like the way that <clears throat> link wheels, paying for backlinks, all the black hat stuff that I know I used to do, but I'm sure Cosm never did. There was all kinds of tools we used to do. I did rank for how to lose weight fast for over 90 days. I will say that was pretty cool. And that made me some good money with some really black hat tactics, but none of that stuff works. And when it got really hard, I switched over to paid. So how do you rank now with or without ChatGPT? ChatGPT is the it's it's the heavy saw, it's the chainsaw before you get to the refining tools. We got that part of it. But then what else can you tell us about just good SEO hygiene practices, what works now? So we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about the richness of the content, because that matters to Google and matters to people. We're going to talk about things that can impact Google's EAT, the expertise, experience, authority, and trust factors. And then we'll talk about the other major ranking factor, which Google never admits to, and that's uh, social media shares and popularity. First of all, in terms of the content, I tell my clients, if you're going to spend a bunch of hours creating a piece of content for a blog post or a white paper or something like that, and you're not going to also record a video embed it, why don't you just throw away that content? Because missing out on a massive opportunity. Google is well aware that lots of us would like to consume whatever the content is by either listening to it like a podcast or watching it as a YouTube video. And because of that, you're gonna get these bonus points in terms of the quality of the content for having a video that's about that same topic as well. So you spent the time to create your text and your images for the page. Now, turn on your video camera, put that page up in front of you, and basically read that content back to the camera. And if you can switch into those images that you've got in there, they're demonstrating whatever you're talking about to give it some variety, that's great. Now that user, when they come to the page, has a choice of reading it and looking at the pictures or just listening to it. Maybe they're on the subway in the way to work or on their drive to work or at their lunch or watching the video. And the users so, are going to like it. They're going to stay in the page longer and Google's going to. So aside from it being just common sense, makes a whole lot of sense. And obviously we create a audio, now, now video of every perpetual traffic episode. How do you know that's the case? It's, it certainly is logical like how we consume content, having it in lots of different formats. And one of the best things that I do is I like to listen to stuff in audio format, obviously, as a podcast host. But I take a blog article that I want to read that's 2,000 words. I'm like, I can't read that right now. And I throw it into Instapaper. And then I have it read yep. to me when I'm riding my bike or going to doing an errand or whatever it happens to be. So it totally makes sense having different formats but how do you know that it ranks? Have you done much in the way of before and afters, comparisons, A-B tests? What's your sense? 
Sure. So I've got a couple of travel sites I run partly to make some cash on the side, but also as a sandbox where I can test things out. As an example, I've got a bunch of pages that are tuned for best time of year to visit, and then you name the country. And I've got about a dozen of those out there now. And I can, so those contain embedded video, embedded map, embedded images, as well as all my blathering on about the stuff I know about that destination. Sure. And I'm able to rank on page one for those terms against and often ahead of sites like TripAdvisor, which have way more backlinks than I have, way more social media popularity and shares and things like that. And yet I can compete with the big guys who have a thousand times my backlinks. And I sure can't afford to buy a thousand times the backlinks I have today. So this is why I know that works. Now, having said that, I listed off maps and images and embedded video and talk about schema and, and whatever else and outbound links. Do I know that each of those tactics works? Absolutely. No. I know that some of them are working because that's why I'm ranking. I'm just not sure which seven out of the 10 things I've talked about. That's the first piece talking about the content. The next piece, let's talk about... That's, by the way, like, I, well, thank you. if you're listening to this show and you're like, the, he outranks TripAdvisor for a long tail keyword, but a highly sought after search, that's impressive. <laughs> let's not have that get yeah, lost well, in the shuffle here. New, right? I mean, it'll do that for 10 years with, sure. that, with, with those pages. And so I keep cranking up more ones like the one I just did in St. Lucia. So that's one piece. Let's talk about the expertise, authority, experience, and trust piece. And back to the Wayne Gretzky thing. One of the ways you can show Google who wrote the piece of content and that they have expertise in it is to use schema markup. So schema.org is basically a way to present structured data that that crawlers like Googlebot can see that aren't visible to the user that tell that crawler that, hey, this page is an article or this page is a review or this page is about a person. This page is about a product. So let's say, look at schema.org article. There's sub elements of article that tell you, hey, this is the headline. This is the main image. This is the data was published. There's an entity that says this is who the author is. That author is an entity which has, this is the author's first name, last name. This is their photo. And then you can put in things called same as links that says, this is the author's LinkedIn. This is the author's Facebook, Twitter, Mastodon profile. This is the their page they wrote on an article in New York Times. This was an interview they did on perpetual traffic, all these sorts of things. This is an article that Michael wrote at Moz. This is an article Michael wrote at Raven Tools or whatever it happens to be. Now, when Google looks into this, Google can say, okay, I see on this page over here, I do see his name appears to be the author. I guess he did write that. That site and that article is all about SEO or whatever it happens to be, Panda optimization. So Google can piece together this thing and say, okay, this guy actually might know something about SEO. I go to write an article about blenders. I shouldn't rank because all of this related information that I'm showing with my schema says I know about SEO and motorcycles and travel, but nothing about blenders. Having said that, is Google really diving through all that scheme into that much detail? I don't think that they are yet. I think this is a case of that's where the puck is going. They might be doing a little bit of that. I think one of the issues is that if they rely on that too much, it's only a small percentage of websites which are really building this out. So they've got to rely, they've got to pair that up with scraping the page itself. On your page, you should have a bio section about whoever wrote that piece of content. If you don't have a person you're willing to put up there to write the piece of content, you need to ask yourself, why is it that nobody wants to put their name to this? So no more by guest blogger or by staff or admin, none of that. Put a real person's name there and then a little bio. And in that bio, links out to their LinkedIn and maybe their Twitter and maybe they're on the board of this organization in this industry or whatever happens to be. 
the kinds of stuff, think about it, the kinds of stuff that you would want a reader to look at to go, Michael might know his stuff here. Mm. He's written for Moz, he's presented MozCon or whatever it happens to be, right? Okay, so Michael might know SEO. So I'm going to believe the things he said above this or below this, below that bio section. So I believe Google's scraping that. So if you can make that bio fairly obvious, it's a bio. So the word by, B-Y, or about the author, the common ways people precede the bios, do that so that it's very easy for Google to use those kinds of techniques to scrape that and figure out who it was that wrote that. Should it be at so the top would, of the page? Because I oftentimes see it at the bottom. Is it? Does that matter at all? Because no one's ever talked about this before, Kasim, if I'm not mistaken on this show. I've never heard of it. Yeah, this yeah. Is, it's, it reminds me of the old Google Plus matrix. Do you remember when they yeah. tried to do that? They tried to get everybody had to have a Google Plus profile. Yeah. And then your Google Plus profile had to link to everything that you wrote. It was a brilliant construct. Like it made so much sense, but so it just sense. didn't take. Yeah. It if sounds like Google. Done it, it would have really helped Google figure out this expertise, authority, and trust. The thing right. about old Google Plus is now, like they've been focused on this, thinking about how are we going to do this for quite some time. And they put a lot of effort into it for good reason, because there's a lot of garbage written out there by people who write garbage because they want, they want to make AdSense money, whatever, and then buy a bunch of links to the page and rank. And yet they don't know what they're talking about. With it makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you're thinking, you're getting Google, you're talking about Google thinking actually like a human, like how humans actually, right. does this guy know what he's talking about? Should I listen right. to what he's saying? Or is he like an affiliate link sprung all over the place and he is an expert in some completely different area? Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. So that's the EAT piece of it. You want to make sure you do that as well as the content. And then the other thing I tell my clients is you should be spending as much time or more promoting your new piece of content as you did creating it. And the reason why is Google is definitely looking at social media signals for popularity in the same way Google looks at links as indications of popularity. But mm -hmm. if you think about it, for a given piece of content, you're likely to get way more social media shares if it's really good or interesting or viral than you are to get links. And you'll probably get those a lot sooner. So by the time a bunch of bloggers decide that you have a great resource, I'm going to link to it. It's probably already been reading the blogger found it because they saw it shared on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter, whatever it happens to be. If you think back, there's a little announcement by Google. I'm thinking it was a year and a half ago where prior to this, anything that was any link that was in user generated content, which would be in a blog comment in a forum or a community or Facebook or Twitter on the traditional social media channels or Reddit. Anything that was user-generated content where the owner of the website couldn't vouch for that veracity of that link, Google wanted you to mark those links with no follow so they wouldn't count it with page rank. And then a year and a half ago, Google comes out with a new recommendation is, hey, for user-generated content, don't make it rel no follow, make it rel equals UGC for user-generated content. And if mm -hmm. it's a paid ad, make that rel equal sponsored. The only reason Google would want us to all be doing that is because they intend to measure it which tells us that they're now at a point where if you use GSASDR, which basically will blast the same blog comment out on 100 million blogs, um, Google's confident they can spot that and ignore that. So mm -hmm. therefore, they're now interesting. They might not feed this data into page rank, but they're feeding into the social media popularity part of the algorithm. So if you have a piece of content and, gee, I see seven or eight different Facebook timelines this week that all shared something with a link to that page, and it got tweeted, and the image from it got pinned and repinned to Pinterest 25 times, something's going on. There's a popularity signal there. And so you should be doing that promotion. Well, traditionally, SEOs are like, do that outreach, get people to link to my article. Okay, yeah, still need to want to do that. But you also want to do that push on the social media channels so that, go, so that Google sees 
that it is legitimately popular with a bunch of consumers out there. I'm going to ask a question that's going to get me yelled at, Michael. Okay. All right. So just my mind just thinks black hat. I think I was born this way. I think I, I need to go to confession at some point because I'm obviously very just naturally. Why wouldn't I go to Fiverr and just go get some people to tweet, LinkedIn post, Facebook share, et cetera, my article? Is Google categorizing the individual profiles based off of merit? Or at this yeah. point, do you think profiles are all created equal and just go get some social shares on your new article? Not 100% positive. I would pretty much guarantee that inside Facebook, they can tell you which is a legit profile, which is not. Hmm. By the way, how many Facebook profiles get shut down per quarter, do you think? I bet you adjusted for margin of error, all of them. Got right, it. Like most of Facebook is a cesspool. It's just my guess. 1.3 billion quarters ago. Yeah. In a quarter, That's more people than use Facebook, right? Yes. So is there a problem? About there might be a problem there, right? So I half. guarantee that Facebook knows which of those profiles are real. Do Ralph think- gets real offended when we poke at Facebook, just so you know. Ralph, is he's a, he drank the Kool-Aid. He's part of the mothership. Absolutely. I like Facebook. It's a tremendous tool for keeping touch with my friends and family. And it's a good tool for promoting certain stuff and getting customers. It's a lot of very nice people at Facebook, by the way. Just uh, so you Facebook's know. Facebook's a dumpster fire. I think you both are just, <laughs> just feeding the beast. That's my opinion. So I don't believe Google knows what are legit Facebook profiles and what are not. I doubt that Google is even caring who liked anything on Facebook, mm. but I think Google can see the any public timeline. So if you don't make your timeline visible only to your friends, then it's just another web page out there in the web. As long as something links to it, Google can see that. It's a web page and it's got some links on it. Google knows it's Facebook, therefore it's social media and besides no followed or UGC. Well, now hold on. That's a nugget right there. If your Facebook page or profile, individual profile, isn't public to the web, it's not an SEO tool. Right. Google can't see it. That's a hell you, of a You idea. get the, you must be logged in to view this. Right. In Facebook. It's part of my site audit is to see whether my business clients have uh, their Facebook profiles public, because if it's not, Google can't use that as another way to verify, okay, yes, this is part of the brand and popularity and all that sort of stuff. And as my experience as an amateur stalker, most people's Facebook profiles are not public. And they shouldn't be. Otherwise, people steal your photos, make fake profiles, try to friend all your friends, all that, which is why the 1.3 billion get shut down every And I'm making a joke about amateur stalker, by the way. As an employer, what I like to do is I like to go look at people's social profiles just to see who it is that I'm hiring. And as often as not, Profiles are probably, which honestly, as an employee or somebody applying for a job, do that. Because yeah. otherwise, I will. Dude, I'll go a year back. Oh, yeah. I want to yeah. see all, maybe this is illegal. I shouldn't even be saying these words. So, Michael, you keep going before I get sued or canceled. <laughs> Don't just stop at LinkedIn is what you're saying. Yeah. If you yeah. want to be a professional yeah. so, stalker. So, Kasim, your question was, do I pay somebody on Fiverr to go and share this sort of stuff? The white hat side of me says, oh, oh no, yeah. boy, don't do that. Yeah, it's probably going to work. Um, yeah. So what I tell my clients to do is not do that. But hey, if you've got a piece of content that you need to get out there and you want to show Google it's got some popularity, hmm. send an email out to your team. And in that email, have a link to the Facebook post, a link to the LinkedIn, link to the Twitter, and ask your employees sometime in the next hour, take 30 seconds and reshare these to your timelines or like them or comment on them. Dude, this is funny. This is the second time we've been given this piece of advice. We had a gal on here, Christine Marie. She's a branding expert. She said the exact same thing, but for social juice. 
mm-hmm. when she's about to do a big launch on LinkedIn, mostly is what she uses because she does a lot of B2B. She did like a huge launch for Amazon and she teed up her team and the Amazon team and they knew when this post goes live, go comment, share, because the yep. velocity of a new post is so important internally. And you're saying it's actually important externally too. So it feels like you get a two for one there. There's no downside risk to doing it. There's so much content getting pumped out on all these channels that that are coming from everybody you follow. That there's no way that whether it's Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter, you can see everything that's posted by everybody you follow. So they've all got an an algorithm and Facebook's I'm more familiar with, where they'll it's kind of like layers of an onion. They'll show your new post to maybe the 10 or 15 people that interact with you most. If it's all crickets, nobody likes it, nobody shares it, okay, we're done. That's not Mm -hmm. going out further. If Mm -hmm. of those 20 people, three people like it and somebody writes a comment and one shares it, okay, we'll show it the next 30 or 40 Mm -hmm. in your profile until we get out to your 400 or 500 or 1,000 level layer of the onion friends. And so, and all these channels have to be able to do that so that they can show the content that is interesting and people don't go to Facebook or whatever and go, all I see is the dregs, I'm just not coming back here anymore. All you're doing is really just giving it a little kick in the pants to start. And if it's good enough, it will take off on its own. Like we have TikTok videos that have 300 views and some with 300,000 views. Like for no apparent, I don't really know why, but what started it? What got it up to that point? Like we don't really know, but we do. And if you have a team or you have an internal people that you can send stuff to, like why not do it? Because it's such a low barrier. Yeah. I mean, for us, like the little tip that we have is we have a social sharing channel. So whenever we post anything at channel, like, share, comment, retweet, do whatever you need to do, all the links are in there and it gives it like an initial little boost. The question is if it's good enough to go viral or help SEO or anything on our socials, it's going to do it on its own merit, but why not? leverage the tools that you already have. In this case, people that you're already paying money to, why not ask them to do the same right. damn and, thing? And if you create this great piece of content and none of those first 10 people that Facebook decides to show it to happen to comment on it, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter how good the content right. is because nobody <laughs> else is going to see die. it. You, yeah. Yeah, you've got to get it out there to that, that 100 or so so that the, the stats and the numbers can start working for you. For sure. Um, what I'm not hearing from you yet is link building. Yeah. Okay. Rob, how could you? Did I jump the shark here, so to speak? Like, because it still has to be like that was the thing that we focused on as an SEO agency. We've had a couple of SEOs on here that link building is their speciality and they do it very legitimately. And there's very lot of people that do it and have high paid individuals that go out and build those links. And I used to do a lot of outbound myself and go to all the the page rank, if that's still a thing, like seven, eight, nines, and see if I could grab links on them or buy them somehow. Like, what role does it play today in February of 2023? So, So there's lots of talk from Google and outside about how links are not as important as they used to be. And I would say, I would spin that, I'd say links are as important as they always have been, except that now there's these other ranking factors, which are part of it, content and popularity and coverage of the topic and things like that. Link building is still really important. If there's any question of whether it's important or not, do a search for SEO consultant. And if you're in the SEO industry, look at how many names you've got to look at in the top 40 or 50 results to see 
10 names. I don't know if you'll see 10 names in the top 50. And if you look at some of those people you don't know, use like the MozLink Explorer tool and look at their backlink profile. And if you're in the link selling business or you help your clients acquire links, you can look at a bunch of those people's links and you go, I know that publisher. I know that publisher. I know that publisher. They're getting links from places. I know where they bought them. And to say that, oh, the Google to say, oh, we know how to spot paid link. No, you don't. You know how to spot the super, super easy one. So the link spam update that came out in October, I have a client who has a very weak backlink profile, maybe 30 or 40 legit domains linking. And then they had 80 or 90 domains linking that were paid links, but they were just crappy scraper directory stuff, things that, mm-hmm. that don't rank for anything. He'd done no paid link building, so nothing illegitimate going on. And with the link spam update, he lost half his traffic because all this stuff, which 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, there's no way Google's counting that. Google was still counting. So Google says they're way up here in terms of spotting this stuff. And I think the reality is they're way behind. And if you look at the search results for SEO consultant, and you got to believe that some people at Google look at that once in a while to see what games people are playing. If people are going to play games with links, it's going to be people trying to rank for SEO consultant, right? Look at the backlink profile for some of these people. So you'll see legit people like Bruce Clay up there and Solus and Ray Drysdale from Outspoken Media. They're down at 30 and 40. I think Bruce Clay is on page one and deservedly. But all this stuff in between, these are people I have never seen at a conference. I've never seen an article from any, any place. So that link building is still working. I've got clients in very competitive spaces that are spending several thousand a month on paid link building and continuing to rank number one, both in local and in regular organic because of that. Now, the kind of link building we're talking about here is not the the cheapo directory garbage. This is where you work with a company that comes up with an idea for an article. They have a reason in the article to have a soundbite quote from you because you're in that space. And then they go pitch that to a publisher who sometimes will flat out reject it, say, eh, that's not a fit, or that just sounds too self-promotional. That might sound a lot like PR, because it is. That's what a PR person does. They have a story about your company, and they're pitching that to to various reporters trying to come up with a spin that they know real readers will actually see that headline go, okay, what about this? I need to learn more about this. That's interesting. And then the story itself is interesting. It's that kind of link building is legit. Mm. You give somebody 300 bucks and they guarantee they can put that link someplace. Okay. You, you know that first of all, that's not terribly legit. And the other thing is if you're Google, how do you spot those kinds of places that are pure paid link building sites? You spot them because a lot of the ads there are ads for organizations that can't get a link on a legit site. So they're selling Viagra, online gambling, mortgage refi, cheap car insurance, all that sort of stuff that you can't get links to from legit places. You see all sorts of articles that are about that. And so the pattern is really obvious for Google. If if your link building is legit, it's still working absolutely, but you need to be doing it like PR. You need to be writing real stuff people give a crap about, published at places that real people go to and actually read and share on social media and things like that. 20 million backlinks for our friend Neil Patel, by the way on what is an SEO consultant or Michael, SEO consultant. Michael, did Neil sell his soul? How does he rank for everything? Is he a person, Every, first of all, or is he AI? I is think Neil, he's AI generated. I saw Neil speak at MozCon one year. Yeah. And on stage, he admitted something that made the audience gasp. It was 
And we'll tell you after this break. Just kidding. Go. <laughs> just I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was, I can't believe A, you would do that. And I can't believe you would admit that. So we should have started the show with that, actually. I know. <laughs> I'd say, so Neil's a spark guy. He's a not, he's not afraid of certain kinds of tactics. No. And he's not afraid of telling you he's not afraid of those tactics. Yes. Like he's very proud of his <laughs> bullish. He's like a digital pirate, you yeah. know, like in the 17 and 1800s, he would be a marauder and he was just born in the wrong century. Yeah. Johnny Depp will play him in the movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. He does have a domain authority of 72, by the way. So yeah. 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 he's wicked yeah. smart. He's fun to listen yeah, to. He's smart. Oh, yeah. and he's a good link builder and uh, et cetera. <laughs> so domain yeah, authority works, that's right that's all right he's actually a competitor for us really he's i know not a competitor for us he's just some no guy. when you google best marketing podcast it's always us patels and then three or four others competing for that top spot the page authority the page rank the domain authority all that sort of stuff like it all of that is still relevant and we're talking to seos now who, for most people listening to the show they might not understand what that is but that's page rank is larry pages actually ranking of the importance of a website and it's one of those hockey shaped curves maybe explain that and then does that have as much authority for your site now or is it more important to get the backlinks from that site like how does that all work into today's seo so the original idea of PageRank, and it's and it's still in place with some mutations today, is it's an indication of popularity and both internal popularity and external. Internal meaning if this is your website and lots of pages in your website link to this page, it must mean that you think it's one of your more important pieces of content. And that's probably a legit signal. And then if other websites link to that page, that's indication is important. If those other websites are trusted, strong sites, then that's a very strong signal. If they're scum of the earth, blogspot blogs, etc. Okay, that's not such a strong signal. And so that still happens. Google stopped showing us the page rank number, not because they're not using it, but because it was such a PR nightmare for them when they showed it, made it visible through an API and a toolbar. So page rank still matters. Now let's talk about metrics from companies like Majestic, Ahrefs, Moz, SEMrush, etc. Let's use Moz. That's who I'm most familiar with. Moz tries to break that into two pieces. One is domain authority, and one is a page authority. And the reason they do that, and it does not align exactly with page rank, is because when you go to create a new piece of content on your site, your domain authority gives you a general idea how that piece of content will eventually rank once it gets some links as well. Mm -hmm. Page authority is Moz's calculation page rank. The page authority only means something after the content's been out there and has gotten its links. And so in terms of an SEO content creation and development tool, you need to know the DA as well. And everything else created equal, a site with a stronger DA is likely to outright rank a site page with a weaker DA if it's significant. Mm -hmm. But some of that depends on internal link juice. Google doesn't have a concept of domain authority, at least not in the page rank side of the algorithm. I do believe they have some sort of a trust score for the domain, and they mm. may have a trust score or an authority score based on a bunch of different topics for a domain. But that's a separate piece of the algorithm, more the EAT and not really the page rank. So when you hear Google say, we don't have a domain authority score, that's probably 70% true, but they are scoring something like that in terms of authority trust separately. Now, here's a place. So here's a, here's a nugget point. There's a really common trick that's being used right now by people who do link building and link selling, and they'll take their site that they want to sell you a link on, and they'll create 500 links to it, and it's almost exactly 500, usually it's 532 is the number I see most. 
532 links from pages on different Google TLDs, which are all redirect pages. So you can, I can share this with you for comments, or whatever later, you can create a page at google.com, which has a parameter of your, of a page in your website. And by putting that parameter in the URL, it generates a page that has a followed link to your page from a Google domain, from google.ca, google.com, google.es, google.it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, then you go and you publish links to these fabricated pages you made on a Blogspot blog or something so Moz can find it. Moz crawls it and Moz sees, wow, you've got 500 links from DA95 plus sites. And typically the DA of that publisher site will be in the middle 50s just from that, regardless of what else they do. Google doesn't count those links. So, so that's funny. Take- so the link filters mm. don't need to outrun Google. They just need to outrun Moz. Right, because it's the Moz DA that determines whether you can charge 750 for that link or 500 or 300. Wow. <laughs> and so they're, they're artificially they're pumping up your DA. And burning right. their clients terribly by doing this. And I would say if you look at any given list of publishers that a link builder has relationships with, 30% or more are going to have this artificially inflated DA. Some of them might be DA 10 sites without this trick. Some of them will be like a legit DA50 site or 60 site that are now showing DA70 because of the additional 500 links from these domains. Didn't Rand Fishkin sell Moz a while back? Here's a go now. Now he's Our a sponsoral. Yeah, that's right. He's speaking with you at uh, AdWorld, Kassam, I noticed. <clears throat> yeah, you see I got top billing at AdWorld this time, Ralph? Nice. It's just really, well, it was a publishing error, I think. I think it was affirmative action is what it was, but I'm taking it anyway. I don't care. It was, it was a paid link. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was paid, paid link. Paid link. Paid link. Yeah. So last but not least, and this has been full of all kinds of SEO goodness, on page, title tags, headlines, internal structure. We talked a little bit about schema. We could go down that rabbit hole a little bit more, but I think, you know, where you actually landed as far as like profile being important, but schema being able to back that up, like on page stuff, like how much attention do you pay on that? As far as just overall rankings, and we're noticing in this episode, we're not giving one thing. We're giving like a bunch of things, which is typical when it comes to SEO. But how additive is it or the things that we've mentioned so far? Pay attention to those things first and sort of your on-page is last. Where does all that come out now? I'd say the on-page tuning is table stakes. So you'll still rank better for a given search term if your page title starts with that search term. You can rank when your page title doesn't have it if Google thinks your content really is about that topic. I had a page on my travel site that ranked on page one for Tahiti weather, which is ultra competitive. And I had no business being on page one based on my links. And I didn't have the word weather on the page. Not even on the page title. It wasn't even on the page. Now I've tweaked it because I want more traffic. But at the time, this is five or six years ago, Google was confident enough in its analysis of the content in the page, they knew it was about Tahiti weather. And a big part was. Still, if I wanted to, if I cared about traffic for Tahiti weather, that doesn't bring converting leads for me, I don't, then I would make the page title Tahiti weather because the search volume is so high. But people want to know the temperature or what's low season or whatever. So page title still matters. H1 matters, but not necessarily for ranking. H1 matters because when Google decides to not use your page title as the headline in the search results, something like 80% of the time they'll use your H1. So let's say my Tahiti page, my number one term was best time of year to go to Tahiti, but I also wanted to get some traffic for Tahiti weather. What I might do is I might make my page title best time of year to go to Tahiti, 
and make my H1 heading contain Tahiti weather. So Tahiti weather colon, what's the best time to go or something like that. So if Google was going to rank my page for a search for Tahiti weather, I'd want that headline to have Tahiti weather in it because my click through rate would be higher. And so they'd pull my H1. So that's the purpose of the H1 today, not so much to stuff it full of keywords because it's a ranking factor. Beyond that, two other things. One is image tuning is more important than you think. And there was a great article, I think it was on Search Engine Land last week. I tweeted out a link to it. I thought it was the best article on image SEO I'd ever seen. The image file name matters. The image alt text matters. The caption near the image matters to tell Google what the image is about. And too many people focus on, oh, because I want to rank an image search. Who cares? You, If you want your article to rank for whatever your keyword is because it's got useful stuff and converts to customers for you, you want your page to rank because those people are probably not doing image search. Hmm. By labeling the image to show that the image is about the topic of the page, now you're showing Google, okay, the page title says it's about Tahiti weather. Here's a picture of Tahiti weather, storms and cyclones. Here's a video about Tahiti weather, that sort of stuff. Now it's wow, all this content on the page, including the images, is about this thing I'm trying to decide if it's a good page about. Well, it's a great page about that because it's got this stuff. So image tuning. So image file names. So Tahiti-weather.jpg would be your perfect one for that. Alt text would be containing that, but more of a sentence. The weather in the Tahiti is doesn't vary much from cold season or wet season to dry season or whatever it is. More of a sentence. That matters. Let's see. That unto itself oh, yeah. is killer because I remember like, one of the things we always used to do well and the alt tags were always just like the keyword phrase. Now it's more, it's got to be a little bit more descriptive, it sounds. But we used to get a ton of traffic from Google Images. That was was relevant and useful and actually did, could be buyer keywords, which I think a lot of people forget about. So naming the JPEG, naming the image itself, and then the alt tag itself, not just parroting the keyword phrase, but actually making it more descriptive. Those two things right there, I think are pretty killer. So I'd say with the alt text, there's two things to consider. Number one should be the alt text is there for accessibility. So Mm -hmm. if you've got somebody with vision impairment who's using a screen reader, your alt text ought to say what it's a picture of. That's just playing the right thing to do, and it makes your website ADA compliant, which is very important. Number two is, if you want Google to believe that it's a picture related to he weather, and you simply stuff the keywords in there, the fact that exactly matched the page title and the alt text, and the, with, without any other words in there, and it's only two words long, come on, that's not a description of what's in the image. So be real about that. Yeah, yeah. Makes a whole lot I'd of say the last thing in terms of on-page that's worthwhile is Google definitely cares about whether or not you've covered whatever that topic is thoroughly. So my example of my page that ranked for Tahiti weather, the reason it ranked for Tahiti weather is Google found not the word weather in there. It found Tahiti and French Polynesia and Morea and Bora, which is what it finds on other pages about Tahiti weather. It found overwater bungalows, which has nothing to do with weather but happens to be a relatively rare term that's not on your average page about a recipe or a new story or whatever. So Google knows if 0.1% of website web pages out there have overwater bungalow on it, and all of the ones about Tahiti weather that we rank the top 10 do must be related term. High season, low season, humidity, scuba diving, honeymoons. These are only a couple of those were weather terms. Yet Google, Google doesn't care what the topic is, but Google can look at this and say, I know that if this is the perfect page about Tahiti weather, it better talk about honeymoons. It better talk about high season. It probably has to mention Air Tahiti Nui. It probably would mention scuba diving. It probably would mention 
I don't know, sharks, lagoon, the word lagoon, right? Doesn't matter what those words mean. All it knows is, hey, if we trust the rest of our algorithm enough to say that the top 20 results are pretty good results, then this this pattern of co-occurrence of these terms on many or most of the other top pages tells us it's a related topic that if you are the perfect page about TD weather, you better have mentioned lagoon, overwater bungalow, hurricane, et cetera. And so mm-hmm. looking at your content and looking at the competing content for that keyword and seeing what they're talking about is important. Here's a great example. So I've got the word hurricane on my page about Tahiti weather. There are no hurricanes in Tahiti. There are storms, but in the Pacific, they're called cyclones, not hurricanes. So technically, I should not be mentioning hurricane. I could be right and not mention hurricane. But the problem is Google sees the word hurricane on other pages about Tahiti weather. And so if I don't mention hurricanes, then I'm that much less covering the topic. So I injected a paragraph in there with a subheading of, are there hurricanes in Tahiti? And then my answer is, yes, but they're not called hurricanes. They're called cyclones in the South Pacific. What a fun conversation that would drive, though, because what you just said, Michael, is so interesting to me as far as like, the propagation of misinformation catalyzed by the fact that if you want, do you want to be right or do you want to be successful? And you just said that I want to be successful. So I took this thing that I know is wrong and I injected it into my content and you did it in a hyper-integrous way, but not everybody's going to do that. And we're in this environment where we actually have to like live by what the machines say, even if we know it's not true. And maybe AI makes that worse. I promise Ralph is getting a look. I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but I just wanted to plant that seed for the listener to think about later because it's a moral imperative. How are we going to end up kowtowing to machines? That's a real problem with Google and anybody using AI content generators, whether it's for Google's new Bard Apprentice, Apprentice Bard, Chatbot, or what, is just because you see it on 20 pages that you trust somewhat, it it doesn't make it true. So here's an example. BuzzFeed and CNET have great domain authority. Let's say they use the same AI content generator to write a page about Tahiti weather. And then Balls and a bunch of others do as well. If Google finds that uh, for some reason that AI content generator mentions Belize for some reason, should not be related. Yet they're always in the same generator and they all start talking about Belize or they all, or there's a typo that a bunch of people have that somebody put in terms of the average temperature is 37 Fahrenheit or something like that. Obviously that's not right in Tahiti. Maybe it was supposed to be Celsius. Mm-hmm. let's say that gets is a thing that gets picked up by these AI generators and there are big trusted sources using that. Now, when Google looks at the trust and expertise authority trust side of the algorithm here and going, I trust Buzz, BuzzFeed, I trust CNET, I trust Yahoo News, but it all got created by the same generator, which started mm. with the same wrong piece of seed information. Oh, so if, if, if from a critical mass perspective, oh. if the trusted authorities started espousing flat earther theory. Yeah. At that point, Google <laughs> would, and it would propagate across everything. Every science project, every kid ever did, every search mm-hmm. that you do for whatever, like Google would start giving you flat earth information. This yeah. is what I was well, talking about. This You've is propagated like the, the, the custom tin hat side of his personality. Dude, this is real That's, though. Like Michael's showing us how this is like not a conspiracy. Yeah. I know, I know, so, but you're taking it to that next level. Which but, yeah, Look at a site like The Onion, tremendously popular satirical site all the popularity signals are going to tell google what they're saying is true oh while the link signals are going to say what they're saying is true so when the onion writes that the world is flat 
Wow. Oh, I love that. What I hope, a, I just hope a it doesn't go to Bright thing Park. for me to obsess over. So now be worried about the BrightPark.com. Next we would be able to detect, is it a new site or a satirical or a site? satirical site. Or a, intonation. So it yeah. needs to Google needs to have a sense of humor. Satire. Can AI have a sense of humor? I guess that's really where we're going here. So we go down the rabbit hole of AI-generated content. Oh, and how fun. That will be for another episode, I believe. We got to have Michael back. Dude, this is yeah, a master this class in SEO. Holy crap. It really Good started fun. chat GPT, but went right into the stuff that I think most of our listeners are most interested about and probably haven't heard about in quite some time if they are generating content. And we have sponsors for the show here and people that we've used that are great content writers. But that's only sort of part of the story. And I think ChatGPT, bottom line summary, is it's a content writer, right? But you still mm. need to put your fingerprints on it, be intelligent about it. And perhaps if you have the money or you want to, maybe you hire Michael Cottom. But where can people actually reach you? Where can we learn more about the, uh, the SEO goodness that you've divulged here on Perpetual Traffic? Go to my website, michaelcottom.com, C-O-T-T-A-M. Or hit me up on Twitter. I'm Michael512 there. Michael512. Perfect. I want to thank everyone for listening here today. Make sure that you do subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening. And uh, let us know what we can do better. I think this is a pretty good show here. If you're SEO, non-SEO, you're a perpetual traffic listener a long time, you're going to be able to get some juicy nuggets out of this. So I highly encourage you to go back and listen to the first half of the episode. We'll also leave all the show notes over at perpetualtraffic.com. Make sure you do tell us while you're there what we can do better. If you go over to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better, follow myself, Ralph Burns on LinkedIn and Qasim at Qasim Aslam over on Twitter. And like I said, there's a lot of previous episodes that we did mention here on the show, as well as some pretty important things going back to search engine land, your Twitter, a lot of things we'll leave in the show notes, Michael, so we can make sure that everyone does get the full value out of today's show. On behalf of my awesome co-host, Qasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic 